Barclay continues. They score on the rebound. A power play goal. And the Predators take a one nothing lead. The rookie, Janot, with his 18th of the season. So what happens when two penalty box radio writers start having a discussion on Twitter direct messages? Well, it leads to the revival of two podcasts. Outside Smashville and the Predator Way coming back for a co-op podcast. Sam Fleming here, the host of Outside Smashville, joined by Boyd Farish, the host of the Predator Way. Boyd, how are you doing this evening? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Stadium series was a big day, but it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, it's uh, got a very big week in Smashville in the rear view. Uh, lots to talk about what happened over the past week and uh, lots to talk about what's what's coming up here in the next couple of months. Yeah, so Boyd, Boyd and I, how this started is one of the topics we'll be talking about is we were discussing the whole rumors with Philip Forsberg and we said, you know what, we can make a really good talk out of this. And then the stadium series and a couple other things happened to happen while we were discussing this. So we thought, well, let's all put it together give our views on everything that has transpired and what's coming up. So we're going to start it off by probably one of the biggest weeks in Smashville in the history of the city for hockey. I would say you, you had the start with the comeback win in Florida, uh, David Riddick having a great game, Tanner Genoa, a big night as well. Um, the Pecorine retirement night. Talk about no dry eyes in that entire arena. I mean, and, and and to top it off, Boyd, what a great hockey game we had there as well, going all the way down to the wire and a shootout and fitting. It was UC Soros who stole the show there for the Predators that evening. I mean, going four for four in a shootout against some of the talented players that Dallas has that's a heck of a performance. And uh, even going back into the, into the third period, I mean, he made big save after big save to keep that a close game and keep that an even game. And yeah, <laughs> it is funny that uh, he was only the second star, even though he was <laughs> far and away the first star. I mean, I, I get it. Granlin scored the game winner in the shootout, but I mean, none of that happens without UC Saros. Yeah, and, and I mean, you look at that, and Philip Tomasino, a great goal from him as well in regulation. Dallas is always – it's a fitting matchup if you look at it for Peckett or retire. Obviously, you had – or his number to go to the rafters. You had the stadium series coming in, the, in a couple days as well, so it kind of led into that. But the rivalries and the great games he had against Dallas in his career – what a great ceremony was done before the game. Pete Weber did a fantastic job leading it. It was great to see guys like Shea Weber, um, Kimo Timonen, a shocker. You know, some people may not remember seeing Kimo Timonen play, but uh, was a fantastic defenseman for the Predators. But I, I think when you look at Pekka, there's so many memories that come back from watching him play. His first game against the Chicago Blackhawks, Admiral's mask and everything. Um, comes out there and gets a big win. You have the goal that he had against the Chicago Blackhawks. Some great memories against the Blackhawks, right? Um, <laughs> Always. 
uh, his run in this basically family. single-handedly destroying the Blackhawks franchise <laughs> in 2017. Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of 2017, you added into there that great run he had into the Stanley Cup Finals, the Vesna Trophy in his 17-18 season where he won the President's Trophy. I mean, it's hard to say, but do you have a favorite Peckham memory from his playing days? Yeah, and it's 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 funny that it actually came up in his speech as well but game three of the cup final in 2017 when the first two games were losses he had you know been shaky a little bit and comes into that stadium which was just I mean hype all day Um, I was lucky enough to be there it was what an experience and when Paul McCann announced him in the opening lineups, the building just exploded. I mean, you cannot, I mean, it was deafening. And you get into the game, he's, you know, playing well, but that that first goal sneaks through by, I think it was Jake Gensel. Again, he basically scored every goal for the, <laughs> for the Penguins in that playoffs. Um, and you could almost just feel it. The, the Rene just sat there and just said, no mas, no more. That's it. And he just, he locked it down. Yossi scored, Freddie G scored and all, and they were just rolling. And man, that was just, I mean, such a memory of, of him, you know, obviously nobody more fitting to be between the pipes for the first Stanley cup final win in, in franchise history than Becca Rene. And, and fitting, he's the first guy to go to the rafters. I think there's Absolutely. no, no other player that deserved it more than he did. And, you know, I, I'm sure we'll see him around Smashville quite a bit. He talked about it with his little boy. He wants to show him around and point to his number in the rafters and tell him stories. Talk about a great speech. He even had his goalie coach choked up mm-hmm. to the point he was about to cry. And, um, I mean, that was such a great night for Pekka. And glad that he got to have that moment and it was capped off with a great win. And even better, he got to be here for the first outdoor game in Nashville and leading the crowd, which <laughs> he was he was having the time of his life. <laughs> the he was having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen him feel so guilty about something before by throwing a catfish, but that was the best reaction well, he, he, I've seen. He nearly hit a photographer in the head. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, my gosh. But I think that brings us to our point here about what a weekend – or Saturday that was at Nissan Stadium. Um, you know, and you see how it's continuing. The Gene Ash High School All-Star Game was actually out at uh, Nissan Stadium. You have MTSU and Vanderbilt at the time yep. of this recording getting ready to play outside there. And they're keeping that rink up for people to play. But just the atmosphere building up to it. And, and then you had all the Tampa fans in town. You had tailgating at a hockey game with many goals and, you know, footballs being thrown around. It was awesome. But then you get inside that arena. And the coolest thing I've got to say is how they embraced the Nashville culture. You had guys showing up on party buses. You had (laughs) live country music. I mean, it's hard to put into words. We were both lucky to be there like so many others. Mm -hmm. I, 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 even Ryan Whitney said it's the best outdoor game that he's ever been a part of. 
I mean, at, at the end of the day, whether it's been the NHL All-Star Game, the NFL Draft, the Stanley Cup Finals, Nashville just knows how to throw a party. And it is a, a city that, you know, kind of embraces that, that concept and that atmosphere and really, you know, drives home some of the details. They get the things right to where there's no just things that feel awkward and out of place, just everything fits, everything runs. And yeah, just every part of it is embraced and just becomes part of the city for that weekend. And it was so well orchestrated that it was, it was all of the uh, Tampa fans that I ran into were all just so excited and they were having a good time. Um, it was, it was a blast. Uh, it, you know, I, uh, sitting up, up in the stands, just being able to take in kind of the whole sightline of the thing and, you know, watching the two teams come out on their walkways and just that moment of, man, this is so cool. <laughs> this is in my backyard, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And the other cool thing that I've got to say is there wasn't a lot of piped in music. They played a lot of live music, like mm-hmm. even... I like it. I love it was played live uh, when mm-hmm. they scored and everything and the atmosphere in there, you had chance going from both teams. You talked about the lightning fans it reminded me a lot of Nashville fans in 2020 at the cotton bowl when yep. they traveled to Dallas. I mean, Tampa fans, I think there was over 20,000 of them yep. in Nissan stadium as close to that 68,000 plus that you had and, and to make it even better, sure, the Preds lost, but it was a heck of a game till the end. It was end. a great game. I mean, both goalies played well. Uh, you know, you had some fights, Pat Maroon and they, Michael McCarron dropping the gloves. <laughs> I mean, you had it all in that game. And the thing is, is I, I follow the Tampa Bay Lightning a little bit, too. They're my other team that I like to watch. And, you know, players like Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, Braden Point. Uh, a cool picture, uh, former um, guys that played on the same junior team up in Moose Jaw, Tanner Janot and Braden Point, yeah. before the game, taking pictures with each other. Cal Foote, the younger son of Adam Foote, who's an NHL legend, with Matt Duchesne, when Duchesne was a rookie, that he played with his father. I mean, the the you know the camaraderie between the players, it's a rivalry on the ice, but to shake their hands after the game – and a great experience, a great atmosphere, all the energy for the entire game. The Dirks Bentley, Miranda Lambert. What else can you say about that? I mean, what was yeah, your I actually, favorite? Uh, I actually sent a tweet after that first intermission show that was like, "Yeah, Dirks Bentley was good, and Miranda Lambert was better," which <laughs> was is is not to take a shot at Dirks Bentley. I thought he was great, but man, Miranda Lambert put on a show. That that was really cool. Um, and you, you, you mentioned the handshake line after the game. I, I, I saw a cool story come up, you know, sometime today that it was sort of in that, at that very end of the game and it was, you know, the last minute just peppered with shots going crazy. And right as the game ended, Steven Stamco skated over to the blue line and kind of like waved to the predators bench. Like, yeah, come on out. Let's, you know, let's have a handshake. Let's do this. And I mean, just cool show of respect, you know, between those two teams and just seeing all of them 
on social media over the couple of days just looked like they were having so much fun. And, you know, those events are, they're great when they embrace the fans and the city, which this stadium series definitely did, but it's something different when the players are, are into it too. It doesn't feel like just another game or part of their job. They really see it as something they can have fun with. And, you know, whether it's the, the lightning showing up in the Canadian tuxedos or the Predators player showing up like a street biker gang. Um, <laughs> it was just, I love seeing when sports can embrace being fun because they are fun, even though it is a business, it is fun. And seeing all of that kind of take shape and come to a head for that game and just all the excitement and the energy in, you know, a 70,000 seat stadium was just, you could feel it. And that just made the whole experience that much better. Yeah. And you talked about the players getting involved in it. I was sitting in 108 down low and we got a really cool up close side of the, the lightning and Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev were out there throwing a football and they actually started throwing it to the fans in the crowd. They started getting the crowd, you know, to come in and play and we're talking <laughs> to the fans and the Bucks fan, or excuse me, the lightning fans were like, Stammer, when are you signing for the Bucks to replace Brady and stuff like that? <laughs> so, I mean, it was cool to see. I saw Gary Bettman got down there with the Preds playing soccer and everything. Yep. I will tell you, nothing beats the player intros at an outdoor game, them walking through the tunnels and yep. walking side by side before they're getting ready to go on the ice. The lights were incredible, changing colors, dimming the lights. It felt like almost you're in an arena, but it was a bigger mm -hmm. stage and outdoors for sure. And credit to the NHL. I, you never would have thought considering where the press, I think Justin Bradford said it, 15 years ago, this team almost moved. The yep. Nashville almost lost their hockey team. Now they are on the map. And it's like it's like Ryan Whitney said. I, I mentioned it uh, from Spitting Chicklets. He said whether it's the pregame on Broadway, the walk over the bridge to the arena, for, until the actual game, it's the best outdoor game he's been a part of. And even the TNT commentators talking about the experience in Nashville and the overall setup. It was such a cool layout. It had that modern Nashville theme really attached to it. And, and I, it's, it's an overall success. And, you know, I think this is the next thing we talk about. And I'll ask you first before I give my opinions. Nashville's definitely going to get another outdoor game, no doubt, down the line. Mm. It's just a matter of when and where. Yeah, I, I think – now that they've shown that with kind of the right opposing team and opposing fan base, they can fill a 70,000 seat stadium. You know, I'm sure there are our predators fans in other parts of the state that would argue, argue for their, their own local arenas. Um, particularly one around the city of Knoxville, I'm, I'm sure would be a hot topic, but you can't, I mean, part of the experience is sort of the, the, the Nashville of it. And, and honestly, I think it would, it would probably end up being another stadium series just because with the Titans, I mean, it's, that's hard to slip in a new year's day game. Cause you have to plan that two or three years in advance. You don't know where the NFL season is going to be. 
maybe they could pull it off. I'd, I'd love to see a winter classic in Nashville. I think that would be extremely cool. Um, but I think it would more likely be another stadium series because they can push that out into the you know middle, late February. But I, actually what I think this maybe even sets up just as much is potentially some, some other events too. Another all-star game at some point in the not too distant future. It's actually been a while now since Nashville hosted the draft. Yeah. And, you know, obviously in non COVID times, I mean, the draft is kind of an experience. People show up for it. They want to sit in the stands and, you know, see those, you know, personnel, people moving around table to table and kind of watch some of the drama unfold. And it's, it's one of those things that I think Nashville could kind of make that fun and kind of draw out that, that, that energy that, that comes with something like an NHL draft. So I, I think as, as much as, another outdoor game specifically it it keeps nashville at the top of the list for any event that the nhl is putting on yeah and, and i agree with what you said too because i think nayland's newland stadium has been talked about quite a bit it's a big venue and it would be awesome to see especially for a winter classic by that time because the winter classic as we mentioned is more the rivalry kind of matchups that you mm-hmm. see you looked this year, the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues. You had the Preds and the Dallas Stars um, in 2020. But, you know, there's another venue I thought about that maybe hasn't been thrown around as much, and it's Bristol Motor Speedway. You know, we saw the, the football game there, the last great Coliseum, as they call it. It'd be interesting, but then again, like you said, you're taking away from that Nashville experience, the whole point of why you're there broadway you know the country music everything around the only other stadiums you have is you have the small the nashville sounds triple a stadium that's not going to hold enough nashville sc you could do something there it's just not as many seats yeah the the only thing you could really hope is well what if nashville gets a baseball team here in the future and yeah. you have a big stadium, and then you can host a winter classic there. So I, I agree with you on the stadium series because, as we see with another topic, we're going to talk about to wrap it up is the NHL is not afraid to go back to outdoor venues they've been to before. Mm-hmm. And Nissan did such a great job and is in such a great area. We, we had the Indy car race down there in yep. August and talk about a great atmosphere combining mm-hmm. Nissan with the streets in Nashville. So I could definitely see that again for Nashville. But the other thing that I think we talk about Nashville a lot, but based on how Tampa showed out, I know their weather's a little warmer, but we've seen games in Los Angeles, California Mm -hmm. in hot weathers. Is it time to seriously consider Tampa Bay winning back-to-back Stanley Cups to get an outdoor game? They should they should definitely be on the list and depending on, and I don't know their weather patterns exactly, but I, th- I think if, if they did it as a similar way to Nashville, which would be do the game at night, you know, if it's, I, I, I saw it was like, if it's below 50 degrees or maybe if it's maybe even a little higher than that, they can, they can manage the ice surface. It's when, you know, temperature gets above that. The other problem is just direct sun. Right. Direct sun and humidity are, are pretty big problems. So 
they could probably do it. I'm sure they could figure it out, host the game at night, you know, do it at the end of January, something like that, or maybe even a winter classic. They'd probably have a similar challenge as, as Nashville does is they'd have to do it in the same stadium that the, that the Buccaneers play, but I mean, they, they should certainly be on the list. Um, and, and I think if, if you trace it back a little bit, a big part of Nashville getting this stadium series was how well they showed out in Dallas for the winter classic. And now that Tampa's sort of shown the same thing here, uh, they certainly should be on the list to get some kind of outdoor game in the near future. Yeah. And I agree with that. I I'd love to see that because you see how these Southern outdoor games have worked. You had Dallas hosting the first one, Nashville had the most recent one, so it can work. And we see that next year, which let's transition here to the end Carter Finley stadium, Raleigh, North Carolina, the Carolina hurricanes are going to host the 2023 stadium series after pushing it back from this year to get modifications done to the stadium and then, as we mentioned, past venues coming back in Fenway Park with the Boston Bruins are going to host the 2023 Winter Classic. Now, the opponents have not been named yet, Boyd, but we said, let's maybe put some potential matchups out there. I'll start with the Winter Classic and I'll throw a name that I think would be really cool because you're at Fenway Park and you talk about rivalries. How about you put the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers out at Fenway Park to simulate kind of that Yankee Red mm -hmm. Sox rivalry. Original six matchup as well. That's kind of what the winter classic goes off of. But that was the one I was really thinking Rangers versus Bruins New Year's Day 2023. I think that would be that would be cool. I, I like the baseball tie in there as well. I think that that, that would be interesting. Um, I think either a, a Montreal or a Toronto would be a really interesting fit there too. I mean, certainly Boston and Toronto have relatively recent playoff histories. They've all gone one way, but recent. And Montreal is just so storied as a franchise and <clears throat> they would probably travel really well for Boston. You know, it, it sort of, it would probably rub some of the newer franchises the wrong way of, Oh, they're going back to the well, you know, just bringing the old teams back. But I think Montreal, Boston would make a cool winter classic as, as long as they're continuing to use the stadium series to introduce kind of those, those newer matchups, newer teams. I, I think you can make both of those work where where the complaints were coming in is when the winter classic was in Boston and the stadium series was in Chicago. Right. You know, th I think that's where people kind of went, okay, come on, <laughs> let's, let, let's mix it up a little bit, but I think you can do both as long as, you know, you manage it well and, and market it appropriately. Yeah. And, and I like that. Cause I think I'm pretty sure Montreal and Boston met at Gillette stadium couple of years ago is mm. what I think, which adds another question, but it's a great matchup. Right. And I like what you were saying about Toronto. That's that history in the past, you know, you could even throw a team, you know, it's, it's so tough because you could even throw like the Philadelphia flyers in there, although struggling, I think those matchups, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, 
again, they've been to quite a few winter classics. Chicago yeah. has as well. Maybe even the New York Islanders. I mean, a team that's very young, a lot of potential there. <laughs> but we talked about that stadium series because Carolina is getting their first involvement in an outdoor game, uh, which I think they're really excited about a team on the rise. I want to ask you first, because this is more where we see these newer matchups. Yep. What team do you really think would be the ideal suitor to face the Hurricanes? If I'm the league, I would probably go with, I'd probably go with the Capitals. Closest regional rival. You know, it's, it's still recent enough. You're still bringing Ovechkin. He's always going to be a draw. It's close enough. The fan base would travel. I think that that one would probably work out. Um, I think the other option might be to bring up someone like the Panthers. If if the Panthers are still in a good spot, if they're you know on still on this you know pretty rapid trajectory, they they seem to be going with. I think a a Canes Panthers game could be super entertaining. Yeah, that was the one I thought, too. Canes-Panthers was kind of my first one. You got Huberto, Barkov going up against Ajo, Sveshnikov. The thing that I remembered, though, is Florida is hosting the All-Star game next year. So you have a little bit of, do you give a city two hosts host situations? So that led me to the next one. Do you put the Vegas Golden Knights in the game against Carolina? Maybe. Maybe. They just had the Lake Tahoe game, but they had the which Tahoe might be, game. So depending on where they are, I mean, the one matchup though, that I think would be ideal. And it shocked me <laughs> that he's not played in an outdoor game. And he's one of the hottest players in the league. What about the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, really? and a rematch of the 2006 Stanley Cup final. The Hurricanes like and the like Oilers. I didn't realize that their last outdoor game, he wasn't there yet, or maybe he was injured. But it, Edmonton has not been in. They the haven't Olympics. been in one? I thought they were it one is. of the early ones. Okay. In Heritage Classic was what they were in, but they haven't okay. been in any recent ones. So gotcha. that's what I was saying. You've had Matthews going to quite a few. You know, you could even throw a team like the Winnipeg Jets in there, but I think they've been to a couple Heritage Classics recently. But the Oilers have yet to go. And with McDavid being still a young player, growing the game, heck, you can put the Anaheim Ducks in the mix with Trevor Zegers and those guys, Mm -hmm. hot names. But I think the Oilers are the ideal matchup with McDavid and Dreisaitl in that rematch of that 2006 Stanley cup final that that was the one I was like, this could be entertaining for a newer kind of newer generation matchup. So we had some thoughts on the outdoor game overall, just a fun weekend and excited to see what 2023 brings. Going to take a quick break, but when we come back, it's going to shift to Boyd taking the lead. And we're going to talk about the Philip Forsberg rumors and who's buying and who's selling at the 2022 deadline.
the uh, combination episode of Outside Smashville and The Predator Way. After the first segment, going through a very big week in Smashville and also looking ahead around some of the outdoor game possibilities, we wanted to shift our focus to what the trade deadline looks like as we are under a month and just really getting ramped up for what kind of what kind of activity we might see, which from sort of a, a fan and media person perspective, one of my favorite things about this time of year is the cat friendly trade machine because <laughs> fan created trades are some of the best unintentional comedy you will find anywhere. some of the best GM hey they are they are all great GMs because they trade absolutely nothing and get everything back every time (laughs) so I don't know if you're like me Sam and you just you know spend your days hitting refresh going what what glorious thing did they come up with this time um there was one literally where this was a year or two ago where a t where somebody come up with a trade where the predators traded Matthias Ekholm and got literally nothing in return. <laughs> My favorite's the Twitter, the Twitter trade bot, and they just start putting these random rumors <laughs> out that like Alex Ovechkin's been traded to the to the Canadians for a bag of pucks. It's like, where do these people come up with these trades? <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's fun, and yeah, and I I, I sort of mentioned this in the first segment it's it's good to be reminded every once in a while that sports are fun and they're kind of supposed to be so have a little fun with it um it has been an interesting week in trade deadline land um over as a report came out i think it was tuesday tuesday night that uh it was from from andy strickland who is a well well-versed veteran hockey reporter so not not somebody on the sideline just making up rumors from from inside their own home but the report came out that the predators were actively shopping philip forsberg which as one might imagine made the predators fan base on social media explode implode and then explode again (laughs) sam what did what did you see from that that little 12 hour or 24 hour cycle of crazy. Well, the first thing I checked to see if is, is this account real? That was the first thing <laughs> I looked at, but sure enough, it was. And, you know, I, I think you brought up a good point when we started this conversation, because we were talking on Twitter and this is what led to us having to sit down is, you know, Phil Forsberg's in the last year of his contract and he's a star player and there's a lot of teams that would take his talents I mean, you've seen rumors that the Toronto Maple Leafs names been thrown in there. The Carolina Hurricanes got thrown around. The New York Rangers, it's just like Rangers, there's all, yeah. these te- all these teams out there. But the thing, the consensus is, is David Poyle's doing his job, as you yeah. talked about. You know, he's got to do his job because Forsberg's a player you don't want to let walk for free. But here's mm-hmm. the thing about Philip Forsberg. He's not one of those guys that wants out of his current situation. He's the exact opposite. He wants to stay here. This reminded me a lot of a situation. I brought this one up to you. We'll start from a Preds perspective. It reminded me a lot of Ekholm last year 
when the Preds were struggling, you know, there was talk Eckholm was going to get moved last year of his contract was this year. It never happened. The Preds kept him. He signed a new four-year contract extension. He's here to stay in Nashville. Um, and there was a lot of talk that he was going to get chopped, that he was going to get traded. Um, mm-hmm. to Boston, I think, was the main team that got thrown around in that Boston picture. was a lot. Again, Toronto, a lot of Toronto rumors. Right. And and the, the situation, though, with Forsberg that I – I really equate it to is back in 2020 when the Rangers had Chris Kreider in a similar situation. Kreider's a top six forward in this league, a great player, but the Rangers were struggling. You know, they were a team that were kind of on the downturn. They just had the second overall pick Capo Caco. They drafted him that year. And there was a lot of thought that some teams that were in the run to make make a Stanley cup run before COVID hit and everything that Chris Kreider was kind of that piece to take teams over the edge. And all the news was that he was going to get traded by deadline day and that he was getting shopped around actively. And what happens, we get to deadline day and the biggest piece out there signs a seven year contract with the New York Rangers. He stays where he is and look, He's got 34 goals for a New York team that's on the upswing now. Yep. So my my thinking is this. Forsberg wants to stick around. And I think, you know, you saw his Instagram post. Players aren't going to say they're unhappy unless, you know, there's some big post that goes out there. Forsberg is focused on making a playoff run. He's a team first guy. I, I really see him staying in Nashville, and I think it's going to be a similar situation to Kreider. It's going to not really have anything go concrete until we get closer to the deadline. If there's one bit of history that constantly repeats itself in the NHL is that contract work gets done when there's a deadline. And it, it happens – over and over again, whether that's trade deadline day, the start of free agency, arbitration hearings for RFAs, when there's a deadline is when the work gets done. And and recently for the Predators, honestly, there was no better example of how quickly that can change than Michael Granlund. He got to free agency. The reports came out that morning. I mean, they, they probably weren't 10 minutes apart where it was, he's not resigning, he's gone. 10 minutes later, he signed a four-year contract. <laughs> and, you know, it, when there's a deadline, that's, that's, when, that's when things happen. And, and look how it's worked out. <laughs> boy, yeah, he's, he's been fantastic. Um, so I, I think at the end of the day, Forsberg probably does stay. I think Poyle really doesn't want to go to free agency. And yet just, you know, the, the, the history of Ryan Suter burns a little too bright in his heart. And I, I think he just really doesn't want to end up in that scenario. And whatever the, whatever the hangup would be that will get that, that deal over the hump. Very good chance that we might see something similar to, similar to, to Chris Kreider, where right up at the deadline, they make the deal, they work it out, he signs everybody's off and running, which then brings us to sort of the next point. The Predators are pretty good. They're in a playoff spot. 
but they are an imperfect team, especially offensively. They, they finish as well as anyone in the league, really. But in terms of actually generating offense, they're pretty middle of the road. So with a good team, with I think maybe the sixth most cap space in the league, are the Predators an under-the-radar buyer? Absolutely. I, I absolutely think they do. But I also think they hold a surprising piece to some people that they could sell and still get some stuff in return. And I'll talk about that in a second. But they're very much an under-the-radar buyer team. They're, they're now one of the destinations in the league where players want to come and play. You know, I've seen the rumors, Callie Yarncroft's name's been floated around. Seattle's in a bad spot. They're going to be rebuilding and, you know, getting some draft picks to get ready for the future. If there's a guy on Seattle that I want, I love Callie Yarncroft. This might be controversial. I'd much rather take a guy like Jordan Eberle that's a proven goal scorer in that situation. But there was an, an interesting Bleacher Report article that came out that said every NHL team's deadline target. And the name that was listed for the Nashville Predators was Phil Kessel. Mm -hmm. Now, some people might say, oh, Phil Kessel, that guy's slow now. He's not, he's not that good. He's been in Arizona. And look at what's happening in Arizona. You're blowing that whole team up now. You're rebuilding for the future. You're going to a 5,000-seat arena in the time being. There's another name they're getting to move on that I'd love to have on the back end of the defense. You know, because the defense isn't all perfect here in Nashville. You know, Jacob Chikrin's name's been thrown around out there. A huge I cost, but he's a good player. Good player. But Phil Kessel, to me, actually is interesting. Because if you put him with guys that can work around him, Say you put him with like a Grandland and a Forsberg or a Duchesne. That guy could that guy can score some goals. He's got one of the mm -hmm. best shots in the league. I but, I think go ahead. And he's a proven playoff performer. Absolutely. Which that's, he's you know, that's that's someone like Kessel, and, and I've I've got a couple other names in mind, sort of in that similar vein as well. You're looking at someone who can create offense, create chances. That is a relatively low cost. You know, the, the Predators are in a wild card spot. I don't think they're breaking the bank this year. As much as I would love to see Claude Giroux in gold, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But someone who can generate offense, perhaps be an upgrade on Ryan Johansson's line, perhaps depending on who you go to get or else it's maybe a third, third, fourth, you know, somewhere in that depth role, but then it's injury protection. If yeah. Matt Duchesne pulls a hammy, Philip Forsberg has not played a full season in like six years. You know, there's these things happen, especially around the playoffs and With, with what we're seeing right now with Tomasino, he may make it all a moot point if he keeps <laughs> his like point per game plays pace playing in the top six. But um, 
it's it's not it's not a totally outside the box idea for the predators to try to make a run at it and also continue to show Forsberg they're serious about being competitive for a player like him who's in the prime of his career that's what that matters it did mean something yeah and, and and another name you know you hear Max Domi's name thrown around and and this is more a name I think we talk about at the end you know the Columbus Blue Jackets aren't in a spot for playoff but there's a guy that's really stepped up his play and it's ever since Tortorella's left he's got he had a year contract he signed what about Patrick Wyman you know <laughs> they, it's like it's it's hit or miss right but Lionel's a good shooter when he actually has good play, mm-hmm. you know, but again, is it that break the bank mentality? But there was something I was going to ask you about is the Preds have a piece that I think that they could even throw out there as trade bait and sell. Yes. He's a great goalie, but do you try to get something for a guy like David Riddick at the deadline? Riddick at this point, I mean, if you get to the deadline and Edmonton still doesn't have a goalie, you know, some a couple of these teams that are just hanging around the playoff periphery that are just desperate for a goalie. I mean, it's not completely out of the question. I mean, you, you know, it, a team is desperate. You know, they may be willing to give up a fourth round pick, and you know, for for a team that's trying to. I mean, the Predators aren't restocking their cupboard anymore. They actually have one of the better prospect pools in the league right now. But if you're going to keep signing bigger contracts, you have to keep kicking that pipeline down the road and keeping it built for the future because one of two things is going to eventually happen. Either those prospects are going to become trade bait to enhance a roster for playoff runs or eventually you're going to trade off some veterans. You're going to need young guys to do that, to, to, to come in after that and, and, and fill those gaps. So if there's opportunities to just pick up a couple picks, might not be, especially in something like a backup goalie where the Predators have a ready-made replacement in Connor Ingram. Yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting, but I, I do, to answer your question, I do see them under the radar buyers. And that Kessel deal is kind of the one that it makes sense, but you never know what David Poyle is going to do. That's very true. All right. want to go, go, go rapid fire for a few things here and, and see where we get to biggest name to get moved. Ooh, that's a, uh, that's a good one. Cause there's a lot of names out there. I, I think you see Claude Giroux's name thrown around the Colorado Avalanche is the one that that goes out in my in my mind because if they hit him, that could be something. Um, I, I'm gonna say probably the biggest name. I'll go with Giroux because it's a big name. It's the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. There's another name that's out there, but. I think you're probably going to see Giroux get moved. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if some more pieces on the flyers follow there. So Claude Giroux. I would, I would agree. Um, the other name that I might throw out there as well, as far as a big name would probably be 
Mark Giordano. I mean, you mentioned Seattle and that would be, that'd be some tough sled to change your first, your franchise's first ever captain most of the way through your first season. But there's, there's going to be some teams that are going to come a calling for someone of, of his capability on, on a short contract, you know, super veteran can play, you know, can still play pretty big minutes. I think he would be on the defensive side, a, a pretty big name to get moved. And and I'd even throw Chikrin's name out there. I think we talked about that already. Mm-hmm. He's probably one of the most coveted defensive pieces because he's still very young. I mean, that's a name that you didn't really hear much, but you tell people Jacob Chikrin's name a couple of years ago and they, they'd be like, who? Who's Jacob Chikrin? Now yeah. you see him elevating his game. He's better than Ekman Larson down there in, in uh, Arizona, and that's why they felt like they could move on from him. But he's definitely, I'd say on the defensive side, I agree with Giordano. He's a good short-term rental. He's a great veteran leader. Uh, I would say I'd still stick Drew, but Chikrin's not too far behind for me there too. One one interesting thought on, on Arizona, and I don't know, probably don't need to be spending too much time talking about Arizona in general, but I find it interesting that they're willing to trade Chikorin, who's 23, locked up at a very reasonable number. I think he's only making something like 4.6 million. But they don't seem to want to trade Clayton Keller, who's got like seven more years at $7 million. Which, I, I don't know, I just find that to be an odd, an odd choice that the younger and probably better player is the one that seems to get moved. But yeah, and Keller, who's, you know, he's not, he's not a bad player, but he hasn't performed up to what people thought he would be and has a, you know, pretty sizable contract. And yet he seems to be the one that they're looking to build around over Chickering. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look at that and you look at Gostas Bear too, who's actually had a pretty good run there in Arizona on the defensive side. Do they have faith in him? I guess, but you know, Keller, that's an interesting one because he is an all-star player, I mean, for them. But, you know, I would keep Chikrin in the fold because that's probably your next captain in my eyes if you keep mm-hmm. him around. So it'll be interesting. We'll see. I, I'm going to be interested to see what happens to Arizona at the deadline. <laughs> I'm interested to see what happens to Arizona for a lot of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Net, moving on. Um, player, a team a player that some team will most likely overpay to acquire. You don't need to name the team, just the player. This is, this is interesting. I think it's Ben Sherratt. Ben Sherratt that, or Max. That Dome. seems to be the obvious one right now. <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, it, I feel like Sherratt, he's a decent player, but you know, he's, he's not the piece de resistance, whatever they say. Right. I could even see Max Domi. That's another name. He had a great year up in Montreal a couple years ago, gets traded to Columbus. He's not been the same player. I would say Sherratt's the obvious choice, but Domi might be one that has a fairly high price tag too. The other one um, also on, on the defensive side, and if, if this happens, it would be just such a, such an L being taken basically all the way around would be Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, he's 
a pending UFA. Okay, so he's he he's got that rental vibe around him, but he is, I mean, not good. I, I think he's been maybe a little bit better than what he was in Buffalo, but he's still not good. And given the assets that Philadelphia paid to get him, which was bad enough, if then Philadelphia then trades him as a rental as for someone else to make a, a deadline acquisition. And then that team also is paying assets to get him. It just, it kind of blows my mind. And I feel like someone is going to kind of look at him and have that. I can make something out of him that he wasn't before and we'll end up paying actual assets of value and it will be unequivocally an overpay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, just I, I never forget that video of him going up against the boards to keep the puck and he knocks himself down. So. All right. Uh, next team or next player, uh, the player who should get traded, but won't because of reasons. This one's interesting because his name's getting thrown around quite a bit. John Klinberg. I, I yes, he's. I think Miro Haskinen has really taken the reins as Dallas's top defenseman, but Klingberg, oh, you know, he, he's been there. You know, it's like Yossi and Ekholm, basically, at this point. You've got two really good defensemen there, and apparently he's wanted out of, of Dallas is the rumor. But Yeah, I, I think don't... the contract negotiations maybe haven't gone all that well. And yeah, you know, just I, you know, when when that goes that way, and he just has decided it's time to move on. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting, but I don't think Dallas. I I feel like Dallas is where Matt Duchesne was in Colorado. They're wanting a lot for him, and maybe there's teams that are like, "Hey, if we wait a little bit, he's going to be a free agent. We can go in there." Um, I, I'm going to say John Klingberg would be my my name there the one that i would put is jake debresque and he's requested a trade it's i mean it's known it's out there so obviously that shoots his value down some granted the last the last couple last couple months i think he's probably picked his game up a little bit uh i think he's gotten some better opportunities. I think especially while Marchand was serving his six game suspension. That's a whole topic for another day. Um, But it just feels like a player who had some good years. I mean, it's again, it's not that he's a bad player. He's a talented player. And as a result, even though his, his, his play has gone up, his market is still down and Boston's going to expect too much. And he's just going to end up riding into a- another off season and he should get traded. They should take what they can get for him and just move a possible distraction away. But I think it'll end up just dragging on into the off season. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's one that, I think when you go back to the Ekholm rumors when the Bruins were in there, people were throwing his name to Nashville. 
Yep. He's a great player. I think if you give him a revival chance, he's going to be an even better player. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's what Boston's scared of. You know, do we trade him and he starts to get his star star nature back up? But I, I agree. That's another one that I, I think him and Klinberg, are, those are two unique situations that they should be out, but they probably won't go go anywhere. All right. Next up, Vancouver, and, and always an always interesting exercise. <laughs> the the two players that have been on and off the block a, a, a few different times, J.T. Miller and Brock Besser. J.T. Miller, older, having a phenomenal season. I mean, he has really, really picked his game up, and and found another gear from being already a, a pretty darn good player. But there were some reports of a bit of internal strife before the Canucks made some of their 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 changes on on the bench and in the front office. And he's a very very good player on a very movable contract. And does it make sense to go with him or Besser, who still has you know, a a very high ceiling? His game and his production have improved. And oh yeah, he's an RFA where his qualifying offer would be seven and a half million dollars for a Canucks team that has been cash strapped for years because they just can't help signing terrible depth contracts. It's interesting because you talk about Besser. This was a guy that when Vancouver started to struggle, the Sedins were on the tail end of their careers. Him, Elias Pettersson, Thatcher Demko, Bo Horvat, younger Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes. That that's the big one. Build around those guys, and now you're talking about moving Brock Besser, and then JT Miller. Here's a guy, you know, similar situation back in seventeen, eighteen. He was involved in that big trade to Tampa Bay with Ryan McDonough. And what happens in Tampa is he really takes off when he gets put with Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, and then the production falls off and he goes to Vancouver, takes his game up to another level. I think if you're the Canucks, if you move Miller, you're probably going to try to move another piece because Besser to me, if you move Brock Besser, I think you're making a mistake. That's just me. He's too big a talent. He's a guy that can be a leader on that franchise with Quinn Hughes, with Bo Horvat still there, Pedersen. Um, if you move him, you're basically going back into a rebuild again. And now what's that tell Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen? They Who just signed move. midterm extensions. They may want to move too. So I, I think while Miller's on a high and you can get a lot out of JT Miller, there's going to be playoff teams. Heck, what if the Avalanche don't get, you know, Claude Giroux? Maybe even throw Nashville in that mix. Could JT Miller be a guy that fits Nashville? I I don't really know. He certainly could. He's got. I think Miller or Besser would fit great in Nashville. Oh, I hope they'd be dumb enough to trade Besser at that point (laughs) if he comes to Nashville. (laughs) But, you know, I, I think there's so many spots JT Miller can fit is what what I'm saying here because yeah there's a lot of teams that would take that veteran player who's 
playing like a younger player right now that can bring a lot to a team. Yeah, I think I would agree. Uh, for, for a team that has taken a younger slant, sort of in general, um, I would probably go with, if I had to move one of them, which they don't, if I had to move one of them, I would probably move Miller, get my King's ransom while I can. And then now I have the money to re-sign Besser and just really try to bring that young core forward. All right, let's get into some predictions. First and first up, Claude Giroux, where does he go? You know, if I narrow it down, I think the Colorado Avalanche are probably the number one team there, and that would be my pick. Now, I'll throw a couple dark horses in there just to maybe throw some names around. Um, you know, I, I think the Avalanche would be one. Could you see a team like the Florida Panthers add to their lineup with a guy like Claude Giroux? Maybe. Um, and maybe even Carolina, but I'm going to say the Colorado Avalanche, Claude Giroux to them. I had always thought he actually would be a good fit in Nashville. And the thing that Nashville has is the cap space. They can eat his entire contract. They don't, they wouldn't have to pay extra uh, for salary retention. So that was always just, I mean, I'll call it a pipe dream. I don't, I don't think that will actually happen, but it would have been interesting. Um, all right. Next up, Ben Sherratt. I'm going to go with the St. Louis Blues for Ben Chirot. That seems to be the name get going around quite a bit lately. Um, I, I think Chirot could be a good fit for a couple teams. But if you're going to go, I, I'd say the Blues, and I'll throw, I'll throw a dark horse in there. What about the Minnesota Wild? Team on the up and up. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with the St. Louis Blues. Well, and, and what's so interesting with Minnesota is if they're going to do it, they got to do it this year. Yeah. Because those buyouts on Ryan Suter and Zach Parise are going to, in lack of a better description, absolutely murder their cap space. I think they have over the next three years somewhere between I think twelve and fifteen million dollars in dead money on their cap. So if they're going to do it, it it's got to be now. Cause they're going to have to move. They're going to have to move contracts out. There's, they just yeah. won't be able to get under the cap otherwise. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, John Klingberg. Uh, this is, this is the one that I think stays put as I talked about. Mm -hmm. I, I, I see him staying in Dallas. If there's a team that say he does get moved, uh, Carolina hurricanes would be the team that I could see Klimberg, but I think he stays in Dallas. I think Carolina could, could be a good fit. Um, in, in terms of a rental, I do wonder if, if he would fit with the Rangers. Yeah. They, they, they need more offense to not make Igor Shesterkin be on absolute God mode every single night. And another puck mover to go with Adam Fox could really, really help that lineup. Now, granted, he's not great defensively. So, you know, you're, you're sort of getting into the mode of hopefully you can outscore a few more problems, but I, I think he might be an interesting fit there. Yeah, that, that would be interesting. 
All right. Um, next up, Max Domi. This is a guy that, you know, I really could see being more of a depth piece for some teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to go with an interesting one, and I'm going to say the Pittsburgh Penguins. I can see that. I mean, if, if, if you look at some of the recent year moves where they've they've picked up some of those sort of second, third line, grittier with some offense, he's he's got a low cap hit, I'm pretty sure. I, I don't think he gets paid much this year. And he's, he's I mean, he's having a decent season, so he's not going to come for nothing, but he's not going to come for a Claude Giroux cost. So I think that'll be interesting. My thought for, for, for Domi actually is Nashville. I think he might be the kind of Nick Cousins-esque, but with a little more offense, especially if we don't see Cousins for a while. He's, I mean, he's, he's hurt. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, he's on IR. I, as best I know, he's still week to week. And if, if they think he's going to be down for a while, that would not be a bad pickup to either fill that fourth line PK or, you know, if they, if, if they want that a little more top six protection, he can, he can play a top six role. He's, he's scored goals before he can do it. And, but he would, he would fit the identity a little bit. He, he plays gritty. He goes hard. You know, the question would be, can they rein him in a little bit, but I think there's enough veteran, you know, presence in the locker room that they can, you know, probably keep him in line. And again, the, the cost wouldn't be too high. So I think the, the there's a potential fit there. And that injury recovery you were talking about injury earlier. Cover, yeah. That's that's a perfect explanation for Domi. Absolutely. Next up, Phil Kessel. This is interesting because there's a lot of suitors. I've heard the Boston Bruins, you know, go back to where it all started. But I'm going to tell you, after reading the Bleacher Report, Nashville Predators, I I think he's the perfect guy to generate veteran leadership, playoff warrior, goal-scoring potential. I'm going to go Phil Kessel comes to Nashville. I get it. One that I think actually might be super interesting. I mean, it, it will never happen because it's too many narratives around it, but I just think it would be hilarious as if he got traded back to Toronto. <laughs> yeah, that, that is one. And if you think about it, Toronto has a hole in their second line. They need someone who can score goals to play with Tavares and Nylander. It'll never happen, <laughs> but I think it would be awesome. <laughs> and so I'll chalk that one up under the things I would like to see, but will probably never happen. Right. All right. Uh, looking at a kind of close this out with a few guys with, with, with term left, Jacob Chikrin. So I've seen teams that are kind of fringe playoff to maybe looking to make runs next year too. You talked about Klinberg going to New York. How about Jacob Chikrin and Adam Fox with the Rangers? That could be a good one. Um, I've even seen the LA Kings throw it around in there mm-hmm. for Jacob Chikrin. It's That's a what guy, I was thinking. And, and that might be the one. It's the Kings or the Rangers. Dark Horse, 
if Nashville really wanted to get a little bit interesting in this window and get a younger guy to shirt up, because we all see what happens, you know, the Ben Harper situation. He's not played very well in the lineup. You have Boriecki, who's been injured. I think even Matt Denning's been a little shaky. Philip Myers hasn't really panned out to where it's been. Could Nashville make a shot move and shore up the defense with another offensive defenseman? But I, I think they'll want to go more forward. So I think it's the LA Kings is where Jacob Chickering goes. The other one that I, I think might be interesting is Anaheim. They are a younger team. They're probably going to lose at least, well, they're probably going to lose two defensemen. They're probably going to lose Hampus Lindholm. And they're probably going to lose Josh Manson. Yeah. That's two big minute eating defensemen. And what better way to sort of shore up the back end, add another, you know, strong young piece to that core that's already there and make a move to bring in someone like Chikorin, who again is still locked up as I think three more years left at a very, very reasonable cap it. Yeah, I think that'd be interesting. And Anaheim, Trevor Zegers, guys like that, got a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. The next one up is one that honestly continues to make absolutely no sense to me about why he's even being considered to be traded is Brandon Hagel of the Blackhawks. Yeah, he's one of their best young players. I mean, when you look at it, Hagel's just – he's got potential – in there to make a move. And and I think the thing for me is this is a guy that I could see fitting the Washington capital system really well, put him with Ovechkin, put him with Kuznetsov. He could be a very big production guy for them. But what about like the Tampa Bay lightning? If they want to move some cap around, do you get a guy like Brandon Hagel in there for the long term? I'm going to go with, the Capitals would be my main team, but maybe the Lightning as a team kind of in the distance. Okay. I think I will throw out actually one that you mentioned earlier. I, th- I think he would fit really well in Boston. Hagel attacks the net, you know, fits that style. And, you know, he's going to be relatively cost controlled he's even with a new contract he's still young he hasn't put that big of numbers up yet he's not going to cost that much I, I think boston could probably make that work and even even the acquisition cost won't be so high that with boston's picks and and what they have in the pipeline they could probably get it done absolutely all right and then the, the last name on the list one that we talked about a little bit already jake debrusque so if he gets moved from Boston, I mean, it's interesting because I think it's going to be a team that's either in playoff mode or a team that's fringe. And, and when you look at DeBrusque, he's a great player, and there's a lot of teams that are in these cap constraints that could use a guy like Jake DeBrusque. So it, it, it's tough to really say, but I think the Florida Panthers could be a really good fit for a guy like him, Huberto, Barkov. You know, you even throw the Carolina Hurricanes out there. Andre Sveshnikov, Sebastian Ajo names. Nashville's been in there too. But mm-hmm. I, I'm going to say the Carolina Hurricanes would be a team for, for Jake DeBrusque. I think DeBrusque would be interesting for Minnesota. 
Okay. Another, you know, short window situation. If you're DeBrusque, show up for a playoff run, you know, really, really bring it to the forefront every night. Minnesota might not be able to keep you, but you can certainly set yourself up for that next contract to look a lot better than kind of where it sits right now. So, and like I said, Minnesota has to go get it. And that sort of gives them a, a piece that they could go forward with because he's still an RFA based on, you know, what moves they make to get cap compliant, they would still, you know, have, have some opportunity to work with him and keep his contract at a little bit lower cost. So I don't know. I, I think he would be an, an interesting fit there to go with, with some of their depth scoring. Well, look at Ryan Hartman this year. That's a guy that you never would have thought would have had career numbers, but you got Kaprizov up there, Kevin Fiala. You've got guys that are names that you wouldn't think being top scorers. You put a guy like Jake DeBrusque, who's in a similar situation. He's a name, but he hasn't really produced like people thought he would in a long time. Yep. Given how the wild are playing, uh, Dean, I think it's Dean Evison is their head coach. He's been a great head coach for them. They have some potential if they're in that go get go get it now mode. DeBrusque, I agree, that could be a guy that you can see fit that mold. I think there's just so many suitors for these guys. It's hard to pinpoint one team at this point. So, <laughs> all right. Any other thoughts that you have about what, what what we might see here over the next month leading up to the trade deadline? I think I told you this leading into when we were getting ready to record this. I think this could be one of the craziest trade deadlines you've seen in a while. There's so many big names being talked about. And, you know, you got Kessel, you've got DeBrusque, you've got Chikrin, you've got Giroux, who's out there now. I mean, there's a lot of pieces. Forsberg's name's been thrown around. There's probably going to be some shockers that stay around. You know, we talk about Jacob Chikrin, even though Arizona seems like they are interested in moving him. Who knows? Could he end up staying in Arizona and being that key piece? I think mm -hmm. it's just going to be something you're going to be watching Twitter all day on your phone and <laughs> seeing what the reports are. But I'm going to be very interested to see what's given up in return for some of these guys. Are we going to have some names that haven't been talked about that are moved as return pieces? Are there big prospects, depth players, ones that backfire? You know, I think that's going to be the thing for 2022 is it's going to be a big deadline. I'm just interested to see what all happens. Yeah, I, I I would probably agree. And I, I think a big part of it too is the the league is sort of polarized this year, especially in the Eastern Conference. I mean, for the most part, <laughs> the playoff teams in the Eastern Conference are basically already set. It's all about positioning. The Western Conference is not that way, especially the Central. I mean, there it's it's gotta be an absolute foot race for everyone not named the avalanche who's just blowing everybody out of the water. And so as a result, you've got a few teams, you know, Seattle, San Jose is probably out of it at this point, but they have enough veterans. They could make a run, but probably not. 
Arizona's out of it. Chicago's out of it. Winnipeg's almost completely out of it. Montreal, obviously. Buffalo's out. Ottawa's out. Detroit's hanging on for life. New Jersey, Philly, and the Islanders are all basically out of it. So you've got a lot of teams that are out of it and may just be looking to set things up for next year, which, you know, flood the trade market with supply and see what happens. And well, if there's one thing well known about general managers is they do not, <laughs> they do not have self-control. Well, and, and that's another name. You mentioned San Jose. You think about guys like Thomas Hurdle mm-hmm. and, you know, Kevin LeBanc, Timo Meyer, are those guys that get moved around because they have reasonable contracts? I mean, I think it's like you said, are these teams who are out of it going to really just dangle big pieces in these teams' faces and are they going to bite? You know, that's what hits. So I think it's just, it's going to be an insane trade trade deadline. I think it's going to be one of the best we've had in years. I sure hope so. That, yeah. is, that is that is always good for the hashtag content. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our trade deadline preview discussion on this uh, combination episode of Outside Smashville and The Predator Way. Any closing thoughts you want to leave with, Sam? Yeah, I mean, this was great to do this. I think it's cool to get together and share some thoughts combining two podcasts together. But, you know, what a great week we had here in Smashville with the outdoor game and Pekka getting his number to the rafters and just sharing thoughts with fellow fellow Preds fans like you, Boyd, and fellow PBR people. Yeah. It's, it's great to get everybody together. And, you know, the excitement of hockey season is just gearing up. Past the outdoor games, you got the trade deadline, you got the playoff push. We're, we're in for a, an exciting into this season, no question. Yeah, absolutely. This, this week will be one that I, I won't soon forget. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity that, that we've been able to, to have some of those things happen here and look forward to the next one. So I guess with that, we will, we will close it up uh, as as always, I am Boyd Farish. You can find me on Twitter at Boyd underscore one, two, one, two and written work on penaltyboxradio.com and on the predator way podcast. And yeah, I'm Sam Fleming. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Fleming 10. Uh, you can find us on penalty box radio as well. Going to try to get the outside Smashville podcast back going. Boyd and I'll try to do some more combination stuff as well. But uh, keep in touch with us. If you got any questions after the podcast or listening to it, uh, tag us, tweet us. We'll be happy to answer them. I think Boyd and I will be on Twitter breaking down some of these trades and may get back together once it all happens and see how good we were at predicting some (laughs) stuff. But uh, for for Boyd, I'm Sam. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and uh, good hockey and let's go Preds.